All right, I add my good morning to you, and I invite you to find Acts chapter 1 in your Bible. The book of Acts chapter 1, and just locate verse 8, all right? If you're expecting Luke, because we've been in Luke uh, for about a year, then um, this will come as a surprise to you that we're in Acts today, but um, we're going to take five weeks here at the outset of the year and simply focus on the gospel, okay? And then we're going to come back to the gospel of Luke, uh, Lord willing, on February 26th. Right now, we're in between chapters 10 and 11 in the gospel of Luke, so when we restart at the end of February, we'll pick it up at the beginning of chapter 11, okay? Now, um, let me say at the outset what the, what the goals are for this series on the gospel, which is planned just to be five weeks, okay? Um, there's not one goal, there's really five goals, and those five goals correspond to the words that you see underneath the gospel in the, the promotional um, graphic for the series, okay? So here are the five goals. What are we doing? What are we doing here? First of all, we want to affirm our trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's goal number one, to affirm our trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll say more about what that means because that's what we're doing today. Goal number two is work to really understand the gospel. That's next week that all of us be able to answer the question, what is the gospel? Goal number three, to grow in our love for the gospel. I can't wait to talk about that. Goal number four, to grow in our display of the gospel in our lives. So notice we haven't even started talking yet about sharing the gospel or telling the gospel. We're talking about, about things like knowing what the gospel is, loving the gospel, living out the gospel. And finally, the, the last goal is to prepare for sharing the gospel, to talk about how do we actually say this when, it, when we have an opportunity to tell someone about it. We're gonna, that, that's the last one, tell the gospel. We're going to prepare for opportunities to tell Okay, so there's not just one goal. There are actually five, but they're all centered around this idea of becoming gospel people. That's the big idea, becoming gospel people. That's the purpose of taking five Sundays to focus just on the gospel. And of course, five Sundays isn't nearly enough, but it's a starting point, okay? Now, today, what is the goal for today? Today is, is gonna be pretty pretty high level and pretty general. The details are going to come next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to get into the beautiful weeds and talk about the specifics of the gospel. Today is, is high level and more general. Really, the goal today is simply to move us from a church that um, may be tempted to focus and major on other things and to, to pivot 180 degrees and turn toward focusing on placing our trust in the gospel. It's very easy for a church to start trusting other things. And we, 
we just want to pivot today and say, no, we're going to trust the gospel. And I'll explain more about that as we go, okay? We only have one verse for our text, but it's a very significant verse for us, Acts 1-8. So let's read it, let's ask for God's help, and then we'll get started, okay? All right, let's go. I invite you to stand in honor of God and his word. I'm actually going to begin in verse 6. Um, just to set a little more context, this is Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So these initial um, words that I read um, probably won't be up on the screen, but um, they're in your copy of the scriptures. Acts 1, beginning in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Faithful Father, your faithful love is our hope and is our song. It is a love that has seen us at our worst and has loved us anyway. It is a love that sees us daily, sees us missing the mark, sees us missing the standard, and loves us anyway. And it is our confession and our great comfort that your love for us is not dependent on our obedience to you, but your love for us is wholly dependent on your son's obedience to you. That now being found in him, being found in Jesus by faith, that great love that you have for your beloved son naturally overflows to us because we are in him and we are adopted sons and daughters. Loved way, way, way more than we could ever realize. And that is love that we can rest in and be satisfied in, Father. And so this, this exercise that we're going through now where we're listening to the word and seeing what our response should be is something we can undertake without guilt. I know that there can just be a huge weight of guilt upon us as we start talking about the gospel and knowing the gospel and sharing the gospel. And I pray you would just relieve us of all of that from the start and help us to rest in this great love that you have for us in the privilege of thinking about it meditating on it, cherishing it, and making it as natural as breathing for it to come out of our mouths to someone else. So I pray that your power and your spirit would carry us through this series because the gospel belongs to you, to your idea. We humble ourselves under this beautiful story in your great power. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, please be seated. Well, according to the text, we're to be witnesses. That's who Christ says we are. That's Acts 1-8. Jesus is addressing his disciples before his ascension, right? So that's where we are in the story. Christ has died. Christ has been raised. 
Christ now is with his gathered disciples, the Mount of Olives, and he is preparing for his ascension. He's leaving them, and he's addressing them. These are his final words, and he tells them who they're to be. It's also a description of what they're to do. Do you see that both of those identities are contained? Both, both of those ideas are contained in his words. It's both witness is both their identity and their activity rolled into one. He says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be, what does the text say? How does it read? You will be my witnesses. And by extension, that word applies to you and to me as well. Anyone who is a disciple of Jesus who has owned him by faith, this, this word, this identity, this activity is also for us. Christ says, you are my witnesses. We are his witnesses. What exactly are we bearing witness to? What are we, what are we saying about him? We bear witness that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus died for our sins and was raised on the third day. In the necessity of turning to God in repentance for the forgiveness of your sins in Jesus' name. That's what we're bearing witness to. And, of course, this leads us straight into a discussion of the details of the gospel, which we're going to talk about next week. All we're doing today is just recognizing that according to the word of Christ, we are to be his witnesses. That's our identity. Now, the question becomes, this is the big question for today. This is the... This is where the, the course correction is going to come in. This is where conviction is going to come. This is where life change is going to occur. This question, does who we actually are match who Jesus intended for us to be? That's the question. Does who we actually are match who he intends for us to be? Or have we become something else? individually and corporately. If we don't take time to deliberately reevaluate and recalibrate who we are, we naturally tend toward becoming things that are easier, easier to be, more comfortable to be, and more controllable. And that's a great tragedy. That's a tragedy with innumerable ugly consequences when the people of God who are intended to be witnesses to Jesus, life, death, resurrection, saving power in his name, when they become something else. And so it's good and it's healthy for us to take time to name and to reject all of those other good, kind of good things that we can become instead of witnesses. And so that's what we're going to do for the next few minutes. We're going to name and reject a lot of different things that we can become. 
And if it seems to you, while I'm talking, if it seems to you like I'm having a really good time naming and rejecting these things, it's because I am having a really good time naming and rejecting these things. I think I, pro- I probably feel something like Josiah felt whenever, you remember good King Josiah who became a king, king of Judah when he was really little? And they recovered the, the book of the covenant and they found out what they were supposed to be doing and he went around all the country just tearing down all the idols and bringing out all the stuff, all the idolatrous stuff. I can imagine that, that was so satisfying to just get rid of all that stuff and restore the truth. I think that was very satisfying and I'm gonna be very satisfied as I name all of these things and reject them for us. And some of them are going to hit really, really, really close to home. Really close to home. And they do for me too. Well, let's name them. What else can we become? We're talking about things that we can become instead of witnesses. We're supposed to be witnesses, but we can become, first of all, consumers. We can become consumers. Consumers of worship services. That's Maybe that's who we actually are. We just consume. We come here, we consume an hour of product, and we go. And then we come back and drink at the fountain again the next week, and then we go. And then we come back and we consume, and that's it. There's no output. It's all in. It's consume, consume, consume. What if we are a group of religious services consumers? How embarrassing would that be? Now, I know that we do more than consume. We participate. There's an actual participation that can happen. But in its worst form, it's just consuming. Now, we would never say that's our identity. But is that actually who we are, even if we aspire to be otherwise? Well, maybe that hits home for you. That hits home for me. This next one hits home pretty hard as well. We can simply become scholars. It's really easy just to become scholars of the Bible, Bible students. We can spend all of our so-called Christian time studying the Bible. You're going to notice a lot of these things are really really good things. And there's an element of, yes, we should be that in it. And this is a good example of that. There's nothing wrong with studying the Bible. There's everything right about studying the Bible. I study the Bible. Jesus studied the scriptures and meditated on the scriptures. I want you to study the Bible. The scriptures are the word of God and they are our nourishment. And they have been given for our instruction. But Bible study is not our primary identity or activity. We know that because Christ has given us something different. We are what? Witnesses. He gets to define our primary identity and activity. The purpose of Bible study is, is really twofold. It can be stated very simply. Number one, we study the Bible to maintain a right heart toward God. And we study the Bible to maintain a faithful gospel witness to other people. 
We want to make sure that our story that we're giving out to people matches the story that we should be, that we understand the fullness of the gospel so that we can live out and tell the fullness of the gospel. So we take in the scriptures to make sure that our heart is maintained in a right position before God and that we're bearing a faithful witness because all the scriptures bear the faithful witness to Jesus Christ. But brothers and sisters, if we don't remember our primary identity as witnesses, especially if we love the Bible, it's very easy to settle for simply being scholars. All right? Jesus has called us to be witnesses instead of consumers, instead of scholars. I've got four more things that is easy for a church to become. I'm not saying that Prairie Hill is any of these things, either the first two I mentioned or any of these other things. All we're saying is that it's easy for churches to become this. It's easy for a church to simply become helpers, to have that be their primary identity. It's tempting for a church to limit its ministry to being a meter, a, a meter of physical needs. You know, providing clean water for people that don't have clean water, providing food, providing shelter, providing medical care, meeting all those really important physical needs that are around us in our community and in our world. And if you've been at Prairie Hill for any length of time, Um, I'll just limit it to the last two years since I've been here. I hope you understand that we are all about doing that, that we are actively pursuing opportunities to meet physical needs, and we are actively engaged in the ministry of meeting physical needs. All we're saying is that a church, the church that has been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus, cannot limit itself to only being or primarily being a helper or a meter of physical needs and never getting around to addressing or confronting people with the soul-saving gospel. It, it always has to be both, okay? It is very, very tempting, especially as the gospel gets more and more offensive to the prevailing culture. It's very tempting to just pull back from sharing the gospel and say, we're just going to play it safe and only meet physical needs. That's really what we're saying, okay? Is that it's easy for a church to just become a helper. Well, what else can we naturally become? If we're not witnesses, it's very easy to become uh, consumers, to become scholars, to just become helpers. It's also very easy, and this is happening all over the country right now, it's easy to just become survivors, where the main goal simply becomes keeping the doors open. There are churches in that position right now, lots of them, where the focus has shifted from any kind of mission to the world The focus has become, how are we going to keep our doors open? And the the vision of the church is limited to only looking at attendance and the balance sheet. And that's become the whole focus. How are we going to keep the heat on? How are we going to keep the doors open? The most important thing can become 
surviving. I just want to say we're, we're all eager for Prairie Hill to survive a long time, to continue to have a, a gospel ministry in this community, to see people coming to know Jesus, to provide Christ-centered worship opportunities, to disciple people in the faith. We, we all want that. Everyone wants that for their church. But we have to have a moment of sober, sane Reflection and say out loud that the gospel ministry is way, way, way bigger than any one church. And that manifestations of the gospel in all the different cultures all around the world, what God is doing to build his kingdom goes on regardless whether the doors stay open here or not. Here is the thing that, that, that we and every other church should be praying for based on Paul's model. Not, it's not, Lord, keep our doors open. This is Paul's prayer from Colossians 4. Listen to see what kind of open doors Paul is hoping to see. Colossians 4, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. That's the open door that Paul's praying for. He's asking the church to pray for an open door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. We're not praying, God, keep our doors open forever. We're praying, God, Open the doors in the hearts of the people that need to hear the gospel. It's the only way that there can be a a response of faith is if you open the door. That's the open door that we're praying for. We can't limit ourselves to saying, keep the doors of this building open. We pray for an open door for the gospel message because we are witnesses, not survivors. So let's never act like the thing that really matters is keeping our doors open. Besides that, if our hopes are set on ever-increasing attendance and ever-increasing money coming into this place, we're going to be really, really disappointed. And every church that sets their hopes there is going to be really, really, really disappointed. Because what we see in the New Testament is that the more the gospel, the more the demands of the gospel are unfolded, and the more you talk about the difficulty and the reality of following Jesus, the smaller the crowds get. It's just going to happen. And if your sights are set on the growth and prosperity and the numbers coming to your church, whether it's this or any other one, Just be advised right from from the beginning. We should expect a dwindling. Narrow is the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to salvation. Few find it. Let's not become helpers. Let's not just become survivors. We know that we are not ever to become partisans. 
or never to become a people who are mostly interested in politics and power. People that are not as interested in seeing the gospel go forth and save people, that partisan is more interested that the people that agree with them, with their political party, that power is maintained by them in that kind of a victory. Partisans are more so interested in maintaining an agreeable cultural climate and winning a cultural victory, whereas the people of God say, our victory has already been won. It was won at the cross. Jesus conquered sin and death on the cross. His kingdom is eternal. His kingdom will last forever. All earthly kingdoms are temporary. Christ is Lord of all and judge of all. And it's so tempting to want that for the place that we live. That's why we're naming it as something that we can't primarily become because it's so tempting to become that and make that our mission. And some churches have. And those churches are on mission. They're just not on the right mission. What we're saying, brothers and sisters, is that the church can never abandon the thing that makes us distinct. The thing that makes us distinct is that we have been entrusted with the gospel. And if we only become a humanitarian organization or a wing of a political party, we have lost our distinctness. And when salt loses its saltiness, it's not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled upon. The gospel is always primary. It's very tempting to become consumers. It's tempting to become scholars and helpers and survivors and partisans. And it's very easy just to become members. To, to treat your church basically as like a, a Christian country club where, hey, this is a place, activities to fill my schedule. I can go meet people. There's offices that you can become a participant in. I can kind of climb up the ranks and maybe sidle up to power and become part of the decision-making group and to have your church become really nothing more than a basically like a Christian country club where there's members and they have privileges and some people are on the inside and other people are on the outside. And God forbid that we should ever look anything like that. This is a spiritual entity, the body of Christ, completely unique and distinct in the world. And our role is to be Witnesses, not members with privileges. Now that's the end of the list, okay? Do you identify with any of those categories? Has it, has it been your temptation to live in one or more of those over the course of your life? I identified at least three of them right off the bat that I know I have lived in those spaces 
and taken on that identity? Because it's easier. Being a scholar and a consumer and a member and a helper is easier than being a witness. So much easier. So where is your opportunity today to make a course correction and say, okay, we're not to be that. I'm shifting my focus to being a witness. Which one of those categories do you need to step out of? And step toward becoming a a gospel person. We don't want to be uninformed. Moving toward becoming a, a witness and a gospel person is difficult. It's really hard. That's why we don't do it. That's why we settle and we say, we're just going to be a church of members with privileges. We're going to be consumers of services. And we never move into the identity that's intended for us is because it's hard. You have to know something. You have to say something. Fear is involved. And rejection is involved. And danger is involved in being a witness. Sometimes real physical danger. And what we have done by taking on all these other identities that we just spent time naming, what we have done is we have made Christianity as easy and safe and convenient as possible. And then we wonder why people are not interested. Because we have cut the heart out of the mission. The very heart of the mission is cut out. We say, hey, come to this heartless thing where we've abandoned what we're supposed to be because we want you to come. Why would anyone be interested in that? And it's our mission to witness to the glory of Jesus and we've walked away from it because it's easier to be a consumer and a scholar and a survivor. And like I said at the beginning, the goal today is very simple. It's just to make a 180 degree change. So picture yourself with a a bow and arrow. You're pointed at a target over here because this is what you've always wanted church to be about. You've wanted to limit Christianity to just being a scholar or a consumer and, or whatever, and that's the target you've been shooting at, and now we're turning 180 degrees, so that's halfway across the circle, 180 degrees to point at something different. The target is changing. That's what's happening today by God's grace is that for Prairie Hill, the target is changing. From whatever you might have wanted it to be in the past to becoming gospel people. That's the goal now. To trust, know, love, live, and tell the gospel. That's our identity. That's who Jesus says we are. And we dare not walk away from that. And we know the byproduct of actually engaging our true identity is going to be tons of joy and urgency and fulfillment in worship. It's going to be all kinds of wonderful byproducts of owning our true identity. Okay? So we're shifting from 
wanting to be all these other things, and now we're shifting to placing all of our trust and pinning all our hopes on the gospel. And I want to invite you, this is the last thing, I want to invite you to, along with me, trust the gospel in these three ways, okay? The gospel is becoming the big picture here, and I want to invite you first to trust it. That's the first thing. And I'm not talking about believing the gospel. I'm I'm talking to Christians now who have already believed the gospel. Now I'm asking you to say, this is the gospel that saved you, and if you can trust it to save you, you can trust it for everything else in your Christian experience. Trust the gospel. In these three ways. First of all, trust that the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. That's Romans 1.16. Trust that the gospel is the power of God. Paul writing, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. What are we missing out on when we're not gospel people? What are we missing? We're missing the manifestation of the power of God. We're, wit- we're missing seeing the power of God active around us, specifically in the salvation of people who are far from God and having the joy of seeing that person who a year ago was so far from God, seeing them be baptized at Lake Ann and saying, I can't believe it. Look at what God has done in that life. That is how the power of God is manifested around us today. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Who can change a heart? Who can change a life? You ever tried to argue someone out of unbelief and just found a a brick wall every time? Who can get through that brick wall? Who can penetrate that hard heart? Only God, only the gospel. Trust that gospeling people around town, as you go around town and you're gospeling people, trust that you will see the power of God on display as you do that, both in you, the weak vessel, the weak container, a little bit afraid, a little bit unsure, As you speak, trust that you will see the power of God rush to you and aid you and help you in that moment. That you will see the power of God active in you and active in the hearer. Even if you can't see it active in the hearer. Maybe it won't be noticeable yet. That's why we say trust. Trust that the gospel is the power of God. The scriptures say that it is. Secondly, I want to invite you to trust that the gospel is our most important work. That is the most important thing that we do as a a group of believers at Prairie Hill. It's more important than attending discipleship hour. It's more important than attending community group. It's more important than attending Bible study getting the gospel into the ears of people that you know. 
That's our most important work. That's our fundamental identity, witnesses. We are witnesses. Do we gather on Sunday mornings? Yes, we do. Do we enjoy those gatherings? Yes, we do. Are we planning to continue these meetings? Of course we are, forever, till Jesus returns. But you know, it's more than a little instructive that Jesus' last words to his disciples, Acts 1, Jesus' last words before he leaves, his last words to his disciples. Now, don't get offended, okay? Because this is, this is a, this hits close to home. His last words to his disciples were not, hey, don't miss those meetings on Sunday morning. Make sure you're there every Sunday. Now, that's important. Church should gather. Church should gather regularly. We're going to keep gathering regularly. Those were not his last words. His last words are, you will be my witnesses. That's primary. Jesus' vision was not a church of never-ending meetings. His vision was a church of ever-expanding influence. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the ends of the earth. Go and tell, go and tell, go and tell. More important than the depth of your relationship with me, okay? I want to get to know you. I I love you, and I want to come closer to you and get to know you better. But more important, more critical than the depth of your relationship with me is the depth of your relationship. And I'm being completely serious. The depth of your relationship with your mailman who doesn't know the Lord. And the depth of your relationship with your hairstylist and your sanitation worker and your co-worker. That you are talking with them and uncovering their needs and uncovering their underlying beliefs and offering to pray and inviting them to your table and beginning to disciple them before they even confess faith in Jesus. You are a witness. That's who you are. Don't settle for just being a consumer. That's not who you were meant to be. Don't settle for just knowing your Bible really well. Know your grocery store clerk really well. Also, love them, pray for them, tell them about Jesus. So we're trusting that the gospel is the power of God. We're trusting that the gospel is our most important work. Finally, last thing, okay? Please trust, along with me, trust that we are here to serve the gospel, not the other way around. We are here to serve the gospel, not the other way around. The gospel is not here to serve us. There's this wonderful little verse at Acts 12, 24. Acts 12, 24, lots of things happening in the church. There's oppression, there's controversy, there's danger, there's numerical growth, there's opposition, there's all, kind of, there's all kinds of stuff going on, but we find this little summary at Acts 12, 24. This is, this is what it reads. But the word of God increased and multiplied. 
but the word of God increased and multiplied. There's lots of books out there on church growth strategy, like how do you get your church to get bigger? But according to a different book, the book of Acts, the real goal is the growth and multiplication of the word of God. The word of God is not a tool that aids the growth of Prairie Hill. If you've been thinking of it that way, you need to reverse your thinking. The gospel and Jesus Christ is not something we use to try to get bigger ourselves. The gospel does not serve us and our goals. It's the other way around. Prairie Hill exists to serve the gospel. Prairie Hill is a tool to promote the growth and multiplication of the gospel. So do you know what that means? It means that we can be less concerned about the number of people that are here. And more concerned that the people that are here trust and know and love and live and tell the gospel. That can happen whether two or three are gathered in Jesus' name or two or three hundred or two or three thousand. We are here to see the gospel grow and flourish in our community. We support the gospel. Gospel doesn't support Prairie Hill. Prairie Hill will cease to exist at some point. The gospel of Jesus is eternal. So here it is. Very simple summary. If someone out in the community were to ask you, hey, what's going on at your church? What are you guys all about? What's the plan? What's the vision? What are you doing over there? What kind of church? It's very simple reply to tell them. The plan here is the gospel. Trust it, know it, love it, live it, tell it. That's the plan. That's what we're trying to do. That is the plan. So when someone asks you that question, you will be prepared to answer it. And we talked today about pinning all of our hopes there on the gospel. We've made the change. Now we're ready to talk about the details of the gospel. And we'll do that next, next Sunday. If you want to read ahead, 1 Corinthians 15 is where we're going to be. The most profitable way anyone can spend their time thinking about the question, what is the gospel? Okay? Come back next week. We're going to talk about it. Heavenly Father, the gospel is something that we should give thanks for. And we do give thanks for it, Father. We would not be here without it. We would be lying in a, a cold spiritual grave, turned around and want, wanting nothing to do with you. And yet you've uh, called us here and taken away our shame and our guilt so that we can look upon true beauty and worship you. So we give thanks for the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. We humble ourselves underneath it. We repent of other things that we have focused on or wanted to be.
instead of the role that you have assigned to us, the great privilege of being what Jesus called my witnesses. What a privilege, Father. Thank you in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.